Pod. Pod. Have a check stole the pod. And what do I say this time? The Mavericks stole Al Horford. I don't think we can say that officially yet. Maybe it'll be the Clippers. Who knows who it'll be. I'm Bobby Manning. That's Alex Kungu. We're about to talk NBA draft with more reasonable takes two days later. We did our instant gut reactions with Danny Emmerman that night. and It was a lot of doom and gloom. Now looking back on it with a little more space, time, sanity. I, I don't hate what they did that night. So we'll get into that. We'll do a lot of that stuff. Uh, first though, Alex, I want to really take time to sulk on the Al Horford news because I think I brushed on it the last few episodes you know you're down in Florida we haven't talked to you in a minute I think we really have to dwell on this because we knew mid-season when we got you on here when we got this started that Irving was pretty much gone but to see Horford follow him out the door I mean I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be this reasoned balanced analyst but sometimes I gotta just I gotta let my passion I gotta let my fandom show. And this guy was one of my favorite Celtics ever, maybe my favorite Celtic ever. And it hurts. This one hurts bad. This one's gonna leave a big, big mark on the team. Not just from an X's and O's standpoint, that's a given. But to lose the biggest free agent in franchise history after three years, and to see him either be dissatisfied with the money or the culture here. That's a big, big blow to the franchise, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, just to follow up on that, it wasn't too long ago when Danny Ainge called re-signing Al Horford a top priority. So this wasn't a case where Boston wasn't like interested in signing him because of age or anything like that. Like This is someone that they wanted to bring back into the program, and it appears that um, that's not going to happen, which is... It's crushing for sure. And um, it's something that with Kyrie, you could always look and say, you know you're not going to ever get back that type of shot level creation um, from what you have on your roster now. But you kind of feel like collectively they could have been able to make up a little bit of what um, he he, he brought. Without Horford, there's just nobody on the roster. And there's no one really afraid to see that can bring that level of defense, leadership, um, stretching the floor, passing out the elbows. He was probably one of the best modern uh, fives in the league, and they're going to lose him and that's, and for nothing. And that's that's definitely a big hit for a team that def- that still wants to stay competitive. They can't even dream of replacing him, never mind immediately, but in their lifetimes. That guy was unmatched in his ability to adapt to the modern game he was the face of modern basketball as impactful as you can imagine a guy of his role being really and when you look at him and Irving and the two losses of course Irving was the most talented player on this team fundamentally but you look at why we felt the way he did we did about him and why things just seemed to shake out the way it would look when he was out versus when Horford was out Horford, the impact he had, not just because there was so little depth behind him, and that was a given too, they didn't have a great cast of bigs to back him up and give him rest and all that sort of thing, but his impact on the game, maybe it's just because he plays offense and defense at a high level, 
but the areas of the game he's able to touch, like there's a big width to his game, and and there's a higher caliber of skill across the board than there is with an Irving. Irving, the handling, the scoring, you know, maybe even the shooting is at a high, high level. But I think you could look at every single one of Horford's skills for the most part and say, all right, he does that at a great level, good, good to great level. Yeah, it's gonna be definitely a. It's going to be a definitely a tough loss. And just to kind of add on to that, it was part of it was also just his impact and what he was able to do kind of made the rest of his teammates better. And especially as that, as that backline defender or as a guy who could work from the elbows and kind of create or suck in the defense and kick it out, um, Celtics are losing a lot in terms of a guy that just helped a lot of players um, get a lot of easy looks and cover a lot of mistakes on the defensive end. So that's yeah. definitely a gut punch. And yeah, covering up the mistakes and being able to take on a matchup like Giannis, like Joel Embiid, the heroics he had covering him over the years here. And those two playoff runs to the Eastern Conference Finals that he had, he he was a central figure on those two runs, whether it was with Isaiah or with the second cast of young players that they did it with two years ago. I think he goes down as the most valuable piece on both of those teams. Now he was down a little bit this postseason. I think the Bucks were able to take advantage of him more than other teams have in the past, and it showed in his statistics. But his role on those two Eastern Conference Final teams, arguably the most important player on both of those. I don't think they get to either of those East Finals without him. Oh, absolutely not. So, poor one out for Al Horford. Oh, Misty, big buddy. So why, why? Why do you think it is? We hear money. It was weird because the, the first report was he was opting out of that $30 million. He was going to restructure. He was going to give the team a break and everyone celebrating when within a turn of a day it almost felt like he's gone. Like no chance of re-signing him. You hear it could be money. You hear it could be competing for a championship that one seems to be a lot more reasonable but I've heard a lot more about money and how competitive the Celtics were in offering him which is stunning to me because is he just trying to cash in one more time on the biggest deal he can that that would really surprise me it's interesting because if you remember back when the Celtics signed him um, they stole him from Atlanta because Atlanta was hesitant of giving him that extra year and I think he's a guy that maybe sees like that that commitment financially as the type of loyalty that he's looking for and it's possible that the Celtics came in just thinking okay like um he's he's just going to be a guy who at this age is maybe more interested in financial security than he is uh like per year money and overall guaranteed cash and him and, and him and his agent were probably thinking like you guys need us I'm like your other big star maybe their whole thing coming in was, hey, like we were expecting like a pretty competitive like offer and the Celtics thought maybe he was gonna take one for the team and I mean more power you to know, him, yeah, I wouldn't take that, one for the team either. That report that we heard over and over again, he's gonna opt out, he's gonna give the team a break. And who was that coming from? Maybe maybe that wasn't coming from him all along. Maybe they never said anything like that. Yeah, it was just it was maybe just something that was assumed and um, yeah, I mean, he kind of owes it to himself at his age and just for the rest of his life to set up his family as much as he can. And, I mean, 
it's not as if the Celtics right now are offering him the cleanest path to a title either. So if his alternative is maybe going somewhere like Texas, where, I mean, you get more, you get more for your dollar down there. Um, you're potentially being paired with someone like Christos Brzingis and Luka Doncic. You never know. If it's the Clippers, you get to play with Kawhi. It's LA. It's a big market. Um, you know, like it's understandable, but I definitely think there has to be a miscommunication of intentions between what Al Horford and his camp were looking for and what the Celtics thought they were going to get out of that deal. Well, we're lucky we got him for three years, especially when he had other options that summer. Great, great moment in the Celtics era of basketball. Hearing on that very early day in July, maybe July 3rd, the day before the Durant meeting, or maybe it was July 4th. It was right around that time because the Durant meeting was on the 4th, I believe. And then they get him right before that or right around the same time because I think Wick found out on the plane heading out to the Hamptons. And it looked like they were going to be this close to rounding out a team of Isaiah, Durant, and Horford. And man, how history changes if that pans out. Yeah, I just never know. It seems like to be the theme for this team and during this era. For for a long time going back. This is this yeah. is definitely the team of what if going back a long, long time before either <laughs> of us even. So Horford, if it's Dallas, meh. You know, they they might make the playoffs. I, I'd love the Clippers because you have a team that's going head-to-head with LeBron, Anthony Davis, a team that's going to be the favorite out west next year probably, depending on how things shake out. You get to go head-to-head with them as the underdog in the same building. They've long been that underdog. They feel like they own the town now. If they can get Kawhi, Horford, that becomes a very, very easy team to root for. Now, I don't think the Celtics will be unwatchable next year to the point where you'd have to pick up a second team. But if you're looking for rooting interest in the championship race, they can get Horford out there, Kawhi, those scrappy characters that we saw give the Warriors a run for their money last year, and, you know, boasting a Syracuse guy in O'Shea Brissett this summer makes it a little easier for me. I mean, that that's the team I'm really going to be pulling for out west. If Horford's out there, it's a no-brainer. NBA Draft 2019. Did you enjoy that one? Yeah, the trades were crazy. Um, it looked for a minute that maybe the Celtics would have been able to move up to maybe four or five, which seems which seems to be coming an annual tradition of we might move up into the top or we might trade a pick for a star. It's going to be either one of those two. And it never happens. Um, <laughs> never, never. But it's exciting and, and on that day, I guess. Um my impressions were I was kind of okay because I kind of – I looked at it in terms of they believe that their core is going to be Smart, Brown, Tatum, and Hayward. And they went out and they got prospects that kind of complemented them and people that you could kind of see being ready to play off, like, day one. Um, but obviously, this draft is going to be determined – in my opinion, on how high Romeo Langford can raise. Because that's the guy that a lot of people are skeptical about. Um, he the, the shooting numbers are what they are. It's unclear how big of an impact the thumb had on that shooting ability. The Celtics seem to be really banking on that. But even beyond that, like that's the guy that... That, that was their lotto pick. That's the guy that's going to have to 
um, prove himself to be worth that pick. And, I mean, the other guys were really strong rotation players that are likable, good people. But I think this draft's ultimately going to come down to, like, how good it does, is Romeo Langford going to end up being. So the, the reaction to it's got to be relative to where they were picking. I mean, you're picking top five and you throw a stunner out there like that. I think you have reason to start riding in the streets. But even if you fall in love with a guy in that range, whether it be Tyler Hero, my guy was Nikhil Alexander-Walker, so it was really disappointing for me to see him on the board there and immediately go to a guy that feels like, not not a reach there, but you know a little bit of a project like this guy seems like he's going to be. I step back, like I say, this is a lot more reasonable of a show than the one on that night. When you're in that range, it, it seems like you're picking between a lot of different guys who are going to have, you know, ups, downs, things to work on. You, you know, it's kind of, I'm not going to say all the same stuff in there, but you, you're throwing darts a little bit in the middle of that first round. Yeah, and I think if you're going to bet on someone like Roman Lankford's an Indiana guy, we have to make this connection. Brad seems an Indiana person. Um, he probably has connections out there. He's probably gotten a better look at him from the time he was in high school up to this point. And, you know, like, they're they're trusting on their intel. And his his ability just kind of to go off Langford a little bit, his ability to create kind of makes him an intriguing prospect. And it was the reason why prior to this year, he was a top five guy. And if that shot... You know, if it comes along and it, it, the thumb was truly like what was inhibiting him, it could end up being a better looking pick than a lot of people thought it was draft day. So if you're going to take a swing like that, I like that they're taking a swing on someone that they probably had a lot of intel on and someone that's kind of had connections to where Brad is from. I'm pretty sure Brad had influence on this pick as well. So. We'll see. I see a lot of Brad written on this guy. Secondary ball handler, versatile defender. The film shows him to be someone who's going to be competitive, gritty, that type of thing. You know, he definitely has some intensity to him. You know, even just looking at his demeanor, this looks like a guy who's going to be fun to watch go side to side with Smart on the court. Like, those guys are going to give people problems in a backcourt. The offense just really concerns me, though. And, you know, I haven't watched hours of film on this guy, but I watched the film I do after the draft. I, he wasn't big on my radar before. And the, the shot's real, real interesting. You know, it's kind of that Evan Turner release over his head. It arches back. The three-point sh- shot did not go well from in college. And like you said, there's a thumb injury there that you have to take into consideration. But, I mean, he's also off balance on a lot of these shots. I don't know. You know, I saw Jared compare him to Avery Bradley and how he had shot limitations coming out, but you could project a lot of other things around that. He was injured. I, I thought it was an interesting comparison, but even if that does pan out, Bradley wasn't shooting until what year three or four in the league. Yeah, so I, and I, I don't think that's a direct comparison. I think there were elements that I think Jared was trying to hit on, and this guy is six, which is a big, big difference. Yeah. Good size, good length. It really, and he is a, he is like a typical, like a difficult shot taker, and that decision making in terms of shot selection is going to be something to watch too. Um, but yeah, so it really, it, I feel like for him, it's really as simple as: Are you going to be able to shoot the three consistently? Because once you're able to do that, we're talking about a guy who is statistically one of the best finishers in college basketball. He ranks extremely high 
as a PNR uh, creator, it's not a guy that's devoid of talent or a guy that can't put the ball in the basket or can't create for himself. It's just a matter of can you get the three to open up the rest of your game. So I'm really I'm gonna be really interested to see if um, that can that can happen and that works out for them. Yeah, and he's a guy who can play right away. I'm not sure he can impact right away, but his defense, his tools will allow him to play right away, which will which will be nice. And in a year like this, to finally have young guys going throughout the rotation, getting legitimate chances. If he makes an impact, he'll be in the rotation, which is nice. The worry here is that at 14, if someone was let to slide after that and they end up reaching not star potential, but you know, very good starter status in this league. That that'll look like a missed range because this guy, you know, he projects to grow, he projects to play. I don't know if I can see this guy in any way being, you know, high impact player down the line. Yeah, and I mean, all, it's it's impossible to tell that until we actually see how he looked and how that shot translates. Because a guy that kind of lives on taking and making like tough shots which is what he did a lot in high school and having the ball in Again, his hands a lot exactly and having to learn how to move without the ball things of that nature so yeah like it's 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 healthy skepticism um i think the one thing that will keep me optimistic is the celtics have been telling this guy they've been watching them for years they have to know these limitations and they have to think they can go out and uh correct it and if this year you know we're imagining the work about Kyrie Irving um you actually give these kids a chance to get on the court and start correcting some of these things because I think that's kind of been a problem for them where it's the where it's the, they drafted these prospects whether it's Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, Jalen Brown even for a couple of years he was there where it's like you draft them and you kind of don't give them a role or a chance to learn and apply what they're what they're telling them on on the actual court so this year could be interesting because you might actually have a length for have an ability to actually get in there for 15, 22 minutes a game and really just kind of work out those kinks. So That's the great part about this this team this year. Even a guy like Carson Edwards is definitely going to get a chance in that guard rotation, it feels like. Before we get to him, Grant Williams was a nice one. I think that's one that a lot of people can agree on was just a very sound pick there in the 20s. To get a guy who is almost certainly going to be part of the rotation in the front court there right away, uh, the solidness that he has to play four and five of his size, um, you know, an excellent player at Tennessee. Don't know as much about him as I do Lankford, but it feels like given the needs of the team right now, that they got a guy who fills a need right now, which in the 20s, I think you start drafting for need right around there. And, you know, the, there's a lot of talk about Horford, the front court last year. I feel like they didn't have a guy, even though Marcus Morris drew cro- close to embrace the small ball four position the way that Jay Crowder did in an excellent way. I thought he was very underrated in his time here with how he embraced and mastered that position. That's very important to Steven's lineups. This guy, I don't know if he'll shoot as well as Jay Crowder from three, but it looks like he he has enough of a shot to sustain from that position and the size to rebound in that position, defend fours. I don't know. Do you see him sign over to five a little bit either? Well, I mean, in this in this league, it obviously depends because sometimes teams are playing guys that are like six five, six six at the five. So in those situations, for sure. Yeah, like a Peter um, Tucker. 
exactly. When you see that, he can probably match up in those. But one thing I like about Grant, and it's another thing that Brad Stevens even brought up with Romeo, is he talked about touch and shooting ability around the rim and within two-point range. And it's an indicator that um, the Celtics apparently look for when looking at shooting potential. And like and like Langford, uh, Grant was a guy who did a lot of really good work um, scoring from the lane with a bunch of different finishes um, in the mid post a little bit doing work. He's actually got a really scorchly one. I think that kind of gets lost because when we start projecting his role, we're thinking more of like the rugged um, stand in a corner but defend all across the thing, uh, uh, defend all, all across the court rather. And I think what gets lost with Grant Williams is that he's actually like a legit scorer. Like he's a guy who's averaging 18.8 points. And you know who's a big part um, about that? Last year. 280 yeah. free throws. Exactly. And, and that's another co- big thing. Ainge was coy about that afterward. They asked him, you know, were you guys looking at the free throw numbers with how terrible you were at that last year? And Ainge was like, yeah, we're not looking at that as a priority. But... You know, we we know that that was an area of weakness last year, and it was for this team. Man, they were so horrible at getting to the line. And Bernardoni was really the first one who pointed out, you know, these guys get to the line at a high rate. Yeah, and I mean, you can, like, here's the thing. Like, you can survive not being able to shoot free throws if if you have Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Kevin Durant on your team. Because that was another elite team that didn't get to the line at all. But when you have those elite scorers, you can do that. But when you don't have those elite scorers, yeah. like it's another avenue that you have to you have to be able to get those type of easy points. And every so. every context is different, of course, because that's going to fit in the complexion of your team differently based on how everything else is around you. But within the Celtics context, and you know, I was watching that a lot last year. You know, does this associate with winning? And it really didn't. I mean, you had some middling bad teams who were top of the league in free throw attempts, like uh, Memphis and Orlando, I believe, were right near the top. But for the Celtics, the way they completely could not manage the flow of games, whether it was having massive leads and blowing them, or completely fading away from games that they were right in the middle of, free throws are a big part of that. They're a big, big part of pacing the game, stopping runs on the other side, or just picking up the points you need to get a little run going on your own. You know, I thought that was a very under, not underrated part of their failure last year, but I I think it played a bigger role than people thought alongside chemistry and other things. No, for sure. And I mean, if you're a team that's relying so much on like your ability to hit jump shots and stuff, you need you need that other compliment, which yeah, is that's like the other thing that guys who are able three point shooting. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, he's a guy who gets to the line. And um I think he's he was hot like um Cole's Wicker, who does a lot of good work over at the Stepian and had even worked for the Phoenix Suns a little bit doing draft stuff. Actually had him rank sevens on his board. Huh. This is a guy who who experts really liked a lot. Um, he's very projectable in terms of today's NBA, finding a um, finding a creative wing who can defend across the board. And I think a lot of people are confident and a little bullish on his ability to shoot threes. I know Stevens, Stevens made a point to say that um, Tennessee didn't really ask him to do that. And you see he, during his three years there, he didn't shoot over two attempts from there. Cause he did a lot of his a lot of his work down low successfully. I'm not 100 so, sure, but I think he only had 46 attempts last year. Yeah, so regardless, a, a pretty low number. So they're gonna be looking. I'm 
I've heard that a lot of people feel that the transition to shooting like standstill catch and shoot threes shouldn't be hard for him, which is good, but it's also something that I want to see first. Because if he's able to do that, um, it opens up his ability to be a big-time contributor right off the bat. If he's already a guy who can stretch the floor with what he already brings to defensive end and ter- and not even defensive end, like terms of passing as well, working from the elbows and things like that. It's a really, it's a really good pick. And it's someone that you could honestly like easily project to project to be a role player for the next 10, 15 years. So that was definitely that I, I really like that pick at 20. Was there anybody in the top end of the first round that you actually were interested in moving up for if the Celtics were going to trade up and you'd package these picks together for one guy rather than taking a shot at three that looks like the way they did? I mean, there was a lot of smoke around Darius Garland. Um, I think a lot of that seems to be like a little bit like vastly overrated. I can't believe people are comparing a guy who played like five games at Vanderbilt to Damian Lillard. Um, I think he's a guy who has that type of archetype, but I mean, like the willingness people were going to already give him that title of a guy who many think is like a top three or four point guard in the league. And they were pushing him to compare himself too. I heard him on first take. They asked him about three times to give himself a comparison. Finally, they bullied him into saying, (laughs) and from there, it just took off. It's crazy. I mean, I don't know if this is the draft that you move up because there just wasn't that many blue chippers. And you weren't going to get a top three pick. So like you weren't going to be able to move up for Zion, Morant, or RJ, who are the guys that, like, you know, were there. DeAndre Hunter still projects as, like, a high-level 3-and-D player. And that's a guy who Atlanta loved that for. And I guess you want them to get him. I can understand that, though. I was like, surprised what it, how solid the league seemed to lock him in at four when you had a guy like White and Garland there. And now, of course, he had a long, extended track record of success in college. You look at Garland, like you're really kind of just basing his success the same as you are Langford, like outstanding high school players who had college track records that you might not be able to buy into because of injury. Um, you know, Hunter had the track record of shutting down excellent top tier college players, and I guess that's what locked him in at that four spot. Maybe the safeness of him too. But Atlanta moved up to get him, and it sounded like Cleveland really wanted him too. Like they were disappointed that he didn't fall to five. And then they immediately started pulling out how much they always had wanted Garland, and <laughs> they envisioned they envisioned a Lillard McCollum backcourt trying to play it off like they did just lose their guy. But yeah, so I mean, to answer your question, I I would there was no one who I was so so keen on moving up for, and I I mean I would have understood if they wanted Garland they really saw something like that and they were taking a swing on a guy they thought had like legit star upside but in my opinion that guy did not exist so I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been so high moving up let's let's do a segment right now things that annoy me things that are just frustrating me around the talk of this team right now I think we can make that a regular segment we can probably find something every week to frustrate us that's going around around the dialogue of this team every draft (laughs) so it's usually going to be cap stuff but this time it's not for me 
every time around this year, you you have people just dying, dying, dying for that big man. Who's going to be the big man that they look for in this draft? And everybody's talking about the bigs that they can go after in this one. When they really weren't there, you know, I don't know how many prototypical bigs are left in this game. And you do look at a guy like Williams who could occasionally play the five for you as the solution for that. And Horford going out the door, you know, probably plays some role in this too. But all you hear about is bowl, 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 bowl. And this guy drops to 45. So clearly they weren't the only ones looking at this guy and saying, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. And Brandon Clark, even he, you know, borderline big 6'9", brings some big skills to the table, but he falls a little bit. Jackson Hayes was reached on, I felt like, for New Orleans there. It felt like they forced the center in the fold. Agreed. And so, you know, everybody wants that big man on draft night. And I feel like if you force that, you're making a big, big, big mistake. And I already hear people saying, you know, can Taco Fall get involved? And, I, you know, I guess it's just the name of the game, basketball and height. People are always looking for the tall guy. But I don't know. The fascination with getting that big, big center force for me – I, I, I still don't get it. Yeah, and I mean, there's just... the We've seen Brad for so many years now. He's, this is not a thing that the, the Celtics are looking for skilled players. There's very few bigs that are skilled that are available. Um, and I think... Okay, so the one thing that annoys me, building off of this thing of bigs, is people need to stop pretending Nikola Vucevic is a bad NBA player. Oh, He's really not. There's so many people that are like, oh, my God, I would never pay this guy, blah, blah, blah. Like, I get it. He had a horrible playoff series. Marcus all killed them. They lost, they lost to the NBA champions eventually. But, like, this is a guy, 2010. He's 20 and 10. He was an all-star. He stretched out his game and was shooting threes. He can pass and play from the elbows. Like, he doesn't have the same defensive versatility in space, but he even showed out as a low-post defender. Like, what I don't I do not understand for the life of me why people insist he's not a good NBA player. So, I don't understand. Do you it. have interest in him coming it. to Boston? Yeah, I oh. would definitely be interested. I would be interested. Like, I would I would really be interested. See, I think you need to commit money on the wings. I think the wings is where you're succeeding or dying in this league today. And if you're a front man making the big money on your roster, is going to be at that center position. And I know he's diversified things a little bit, but I, I think you're putting limitations on yourself. You need a guy in there who can fill a role, complement the other guys. Th- this guy needs touches. You know, he's, He'll be taking the most shots on your team. He'll be pulling from those guys on the wing. And now I know he's a player that can you know share the rock get assist all that type of thing he's not going to be hogging the ball but you know diverting that kind of resources and shots to that position I just don't think it's sound and you know maybe I'm just living and dying on the Horford thing still and they're not going to get another Horford who's that minimalist in his impact but I don't know I just I have no interest in committing not only the money but the years to him no I mean I get that it wouldn't be my first option but it's not something where if it's the Celtics and then it wouldn't be something I'd consider like, oh my god, why would they do that? This is a death blow Does or something like that. Does significantly change the team's fortunes? You think? In terms of, I mean, it, it makes them a more competent team right now. If say they just get, they like, need uh, someone in there for sure. Yeah, I mean, right now, let's say they get someone like Dwayne Devin or something like that. That's that's an interesting name going around. I don't see them as being anything more than like a six seed. 
I think if you sign a guy like Vucevic, you're at least getting home court. You're, you're at least in the running. I'll say that. There is no running to still get home court. Because I just think you, you just have scoring ability at all levels. Like now you have guys who are potentially able to get to the line. You're opening more minutes now for guys like Jalen Tatum to breathe and score. Um, Hayward, which is another big topic, I guess. It's, it's going to be a big theme this season. Um, how much of a leap him and Tatum can make assuming like they're at least better or um, Hayward is at least like much closer to what he was in Utah. It just becomes like a team that can kind of score all over the court and has, and has an ability to play inside and out. And I think Vucevic is the one guy who gives you that ability to play inside and out. And yeah, like I think he, he would solidify them as one of the competitors in the East. Does it mean automatic like finals or anything like that? No, but I think he, I, I would feel much better having him than like just any other center. So isn't that the big mystery in Boston right now? What are they doing with that cap space? Everybody seems to have a different idea of what direction they're taking that in. And that was the surprise of the draft, really, is that the Celtics went all in on clearing as much cap space as they possibly could. Aaron Baines goes out the door in a trade to Phoenix. Not surprising, because they were looking at moving him earlier in the day. But trading the pick out with him and then getting a useless Milwaukee pick by all accounts back feels like just a straight-up sell there to get as much cap space as you can. Get all the other contracts out the door and the Celtics are looking at about $34 million in cap space this summer. So what is that? Is that to pursue a mid-tier guy like Vucevic? Like one of those Bucks free agents on a restricted offer sheet to you know, be that pest like the Nets used to be? Forcing a team to play more, pay more than they need to on their restricted free agents. That could possibly be a route they're going. The one I saw it as, because maybe I'm just trying to set my expectations low for how this summer's going to go, they want a lot of space to absorb contracts and start the asset game again. I think that's going to be ultimately what they do with that, is absorb some contracts. Maybe that's how they find their center. Um, a guy like Drummond or something, bring him in, get a pick, and uh, you know go from there. Yeah, and I mean, that's always possible. And I think that's the interesting thing about um, their space. It's not entirely clear what they want to do with it. And they do have all these directions to go. There is going to be a chance that they could be players in free agency and trades. I know the Steven Adams potential for an OKC team that definitely wants to start cutting down the attack, though. I think two or three. All right. And, I wouldn't you know, hate that. Yeah, I mean, there's also guys like Von Looney who are like, you're not gonna have to pay huge money for him. He's 23. He has he has playoff pedigree. We see him as a big who can defend in space. You know, like bring that element in. He's not gonna take away shots from anybody. Um, we we play a pretty similar offense where he came from in the Warriors. That's another option. Um, and then I've saw you know I've seen things like taking on Gallo for, like, the Miami's pick. And there, there's a lot of things they can do with them. And I think they're going to explore everything. And I think I think it, it is safe to just assume that they're going to look for assets again. But I do think they're, they're at least going to sniff around and on some of these bigger names to see if they can, like, immediately, like, pivot. 
and still continue to be competitive. See, me, I, I want them to have that flexibility going forward. It's it's great that they've opened up this room this quickly after all the you know crap hit the fan. Irving Horford walking out the door. All of a sudden, they're in a position to clear out like a max contract space, which is you know exactly what you're looking for after all that stuff goes wrong. And so now you can either kick that forward with all those one-year deals, keep that cap space maintained, but to some degree, they have to reform the culture here too. And that's the tough part about trading Baines the way they did is does anyone look at that and go like, oh, geez, you're doing that to Baines? Either guys around the league or guys in the locker room. You know, it just wasn't the greatest look in the world. They had to do it if that's the team taking his contract. But you know, it wasn't what they wanted to do, I imagine, to end his tenure in Boston because he took pay cuts to stay here. You know, he was all in on joining this team again this year, and now he lands in Phoenix, which is like literally the basketball desert, you know, beyond the fact that it's in the desert. So that wasn't great. And it just reminds me that they got to rebuild their culture a little bit here to even take advantage of that cap space going forward because right now they have nothing to sell free agents in coming years with uh, the state of affairs here in Boston. And if they've taken well, any hit from the Isaiah stuff and anything that, you know, the way they've managed things here over the last few years, the chemistry disaster that they had last year, they got to start reshaping that. Yeah. And I mean, let's just, let's, I think one thing that they have to offer these guys, which I think, I mean, prior to Horford and all that, I mean, that this was a team that didn't have cap space period for years because of, the big three, and then prior to that, like taking on bad contracts. This is a team that did not was never really a free agent player. So this is again one of the. This is very new to Celtics, That's basically being being a free agent player. And I think a lot of like I think a lot of this stuff gets overblown online. Like I don't think I honest to God do not think players care at all that Aaron Baines was traded. I don't think they you don't care think players at all. Cared about the Isaiah thing. I. I do not think players care that much. Like, I don't think any player is going to go, I'm not going to go play in Boston because of that. Like, Al Horford is about to go, may, might go to a team that traded a player during a game. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, the New York Knicks are still a free agent market, despite having one of their legends, like, chokehold and brought out of New York, one of the worst owners in the league. And yet, somehow, they're still a free agent destination. People talk about them as if they have 17 rings. Yeah, yeah, we'll see I when just, they get a guy. <laughs> I, yeah, like, I mean, I just, I don't think they care. I think, do you have do you have money? Do you have a competitive offer for them? Do you have a role for them? You know? And I think that's really what they care about. If you're giving them a role and money, um, players will come, no matter your team. Unless, unless you're the Kings, maybe. You go besides for that. I think like, that's you're true for a, get players. I think that's true for a mid-tier player to get a Horford to get in the conversation for a Durant the way they were before, and maybe that's a high bar to put in front of them going forward. Now, I think that's where having something to offer and you know being reliable and appealing to those guys, even in the Irving sense, you know, if people look at the way Irving, you know, played out his tenure here, and I don't think the Celtics could have done any di- anything differently with the way they handled Irving. I think all his discontent was just on him, and that was stuff that he had to figure out because I think they jumped through hoops to make him happy. 
anybody yeah, and any, I mean, any of the superstars look at that and they're like oh maybe i don't want to be in boston i think you really got to be selling yourself as a great destination for those guys because they have very specific nitpicky needs now who knows how long it is before they're in play for one of those guys again but if you're talking vucevic um you know those type of guys yeah they'll be in play for them no matter what and and i mean something to add if they do go the cap clearing route I mean, it is worth noting that Gordon Hayward could be a free agent next year. And it is possible that he maybe opts out and wants something different. If maybe he has a great year, um, he wants to go to a more competitive situation. Maybe he doesn't see the situation because of all the, of all the youth around him. Maybe he doesn't see that as a situation he wants to be in. He wants to go to some more veteran team, trying to pursue championship that way. And maybe he leaves. There's a chance it's all to have a lot of space even as soon as next year. And it could be in a very similar position that like a team like the Nets are right this year. So I don't know. And maybe maybe that's something that they're looking at too, looking down the road and seeing if maybe they could start, you know, like adding like getting back in the big free agent game that way as well. So that's where they ultimately want to be, especially with this flexibility. Trades, yeah. if you're making a trade at this point you're you're trading the centerpieces of your team. That's why the Davis thing didn't work out because they were going to have to trade like the current centerpieces of their team. He would have been the only one here and it just wouldn't have worked out that way. You know, you want to be in the position to sign the guys so you can add to what you already have. So, you know, that's down the line. Now, what do you want to see them do right now? I mean, my idea right now, plan A, use that space to give the Bucks a run. You know, you're going to be competitive in the East next year with the talent you have just based on what the east is you everybody's gunning for the raptors if Kawhi stays if he leaves are out of the picture and then everyone's gunning for the bucks so you know this is very contingent on the raptors and what they end up doing but you know the bucks have two very important parts of their core and free agency this summer that's a small market team in two years they gotta pay Giannis Make it tough on them. At least make it tough on them. You know, Middleton, they're going to keep no matter what, I'd imagine, because he's just such a key part of their core. Make sure they're paying top dollar for him. And then, you know, make it tough on Brogdon, because I think Brogdon's good enough where if you throw a competitive offer sheet at him, I wouldn't mind if they say, all right, we're going to let him go. I wouldn't mind committing money to a guy like that. And if they really are intent on spending all the money they can to keep that team together, then go make them do it. But if you can pull from them while adding to your own team, I think that's, you know, gold and gold and gold for the summer. Yeah, and I mean, there's definitely a pass where you might be able to slightly overpay for Brogdon and then still be competitive in the market to get another big. And I think you're right. I think that that's is someone because they're paying top they dollar for Middleton. Someone's going to give yeah. them a big offer. Sure. And I mean, if you start throwing, this is going to sound crazy, but if you start maybe throwing like, 25 26 million which i know is a lot and it's like it's you're talking about like all sort of level money i get that but you start throwing those numbers around you that still leaves you some some wiggle room to go after another big and have some space and then if you're able to bring a guy like him in again you're talking about a six five guy that was doing what like 15 5 and 5 on 40 50 90 that zach Lowe has made an effort to consistently say like in the playoffs, when it mattered, he was their second best player. Like you're bringing that level player in on a guy who's in his, in his prime. Yeah, so, and I they mean, could use a starting point guard. Yeah, and I and that'd be interesting to see how that would work. Well, smart 
um, Brogdon, Brown, see how who's starting, who's coming off the bench. I think Smart. Can I can imagine. Left. I think Smart I can, can imagine anything. Yeah, and I think I can imagine Smart being like, okay, like let me come off the bench and kind of lead the second unit. I can see that happening. And Brogdon's too. another guy who can play on and off the ball. You know, he'll shift in seamlessly. There. Very, very Celtics like. So I definitely agree with that. That's definitely somewhere where they should. Either make the Bucks step over paying it dangerously close to the tax that they don't want to pay, it, despite whatever they say, they don't want to pay it at all. Um, and yeah, so yeah, I mean, like I said, yeah, this it's kind of it's kind of, it kind of makes the, yeah, and this is kind of what makes the offseason really interesting because there's just so many options that they can go with, and nobody really knows what they'll do. You got a plan A in mind? You want to throw out there? Is it Vucevic? <laughs> I mean, my plan A initially when I first saw the Al Horford news and understood that we would have space, it really was Brogdon. Like, I really was. I'm very mm-hmm. in on. I was very in on Malcolm Brogdon, but this draft made me wonder a little bit because then it's like they definitely did pick um, three guards, but I won't count Tremont Waters as someone that's going to realistically be in the rotation at all. He's probably a two way or a main guy or something like that. But when you start bringing guys like Carson Edwards, Romeo Langford, you already had Marcus Smart, you already have Jalen um, Hayward is someone who could even be like a de facto uh, lead ball handler in certain lineups. I wonder if Brockman is someone that, like you know, they had on their radar now. So now I'm thinking more um, bigs and seeing if maybe that Stephen Adams thing is a real option. Because that's the well, word. You know, they can't they can't go in the next season with Rob Williams and Taco Fall as their center rotation. So yeah. that's certainly something they're gonna have to address yes. one way or another. And we'll address it too as the summer goes on. Lots and lots of stuff to unpack there. This was a bloated episode, but it had to be. Welcome back, Kungu. We'll talk to you more in the coming weeks and we'll break down stuff as it comes to us. We'll eat that food as they serve it. <laughs>